Welcome to another episode of the Gay Archive Show, where we explore gay history one bar at a time. I'm your host, Art Smith, and our guests today are Taylor Schubert, Sam Benedict, Daniel Nardiccio, and Adam Klesch, who are opening a brand new bar in New York City called Red Eye New York. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about a brand new uh, gay venue in New York City called Red Eye New York. And we are being joined by Adam Plesh, Sam Benedict, Daniel Nardiccio, and Taylor Schubert. Welcome to the show. Oh, hello. Thanks for having us. So I'm always excited when there's something new to talk about, something that you know, is fresh blood in our community because, you know, over the last couple of decades, we have lost so many venues. And specifically during COVID, it just seemed like they were dropping like flies. Um, so I'm going to ask each one of you to do a brief introduction so everybody knows what your background is before we delve into the bar. Sure. So who wants to start? I'll start. Uh, my name is Daniel Ardiccio. I'm a top <laughs> I like long walks on the beach and new disco frisbee. Um, no, seriously, my name is Daniel Radicho, a nightlife promoter uh, and uh, producer of concerts and um, lots of parties in, in New York, Fire Island, uh, sometimes in New Orleans and other places around the country. I'm Sam. Um, I have been working with Daniel for uh, what nine years? Something like that. Almost yeah. like, feels like a lot. Yeah, almost, <laughs> almost a decade. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I've been with him for a long time, uh, working for Daniel, and then over the last couple of years, uh, um, we've partnered on different things, including Red Eye now. Um, and uh, you know, my big thing with that I bring to Red Eye is I'm um, the beverage director that's that's kind of my biggest purview in addition to helping with you know uh producing shows and bringing ideas to the table that's kind of primarily my lane taylor uh my name is taylor schubert and i'm just here for the coffee <laughs> uh, no i i've worked in nightlife for uh too long but uh about a decade uh, started out bartending and then uh, became uh, partners with this Motley crew. And um, I, I love, uh, you know, helping put on parties. We do, we throw the the legendary D World Final oh. Island underwear party. Um, we do a, a Devil Wears Nada party. We produce uh, Bet Bath House and Beyond. Uh, so we're event producers by trade, but also <laughs> we're seasoned bartenders um and you know me personally i am a political junkie so i'm pretty involved in new york city politics uh, i serve on uh new york county committee and am on the board of stonewall dems so uh you know i i run the gamut i'm happy to be here all right and uh i'm adam clash um once again started as a bartender 22 years ago, I started getting into bar and club renovation and design uh, in about 2005. I've been doing that since. Um, opened up a bar in Berlin, Germany uh, four years ago uh, called Tipsy Bear. Was not a victim to the pandemic, thank God. Uh, God bless social uh, democracy. Uh, mm -hmm. The government helped us stay open. 
and uh, keep things rolling in the right direction. And uh, I was losing my mind a bit during COVID, so came back to uh, work with Daniel and the boys to facilitate my creative outlets. And basically, I'm the one that holds it all together. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I just handle the, <laughs> I handle the building and the construction and making sure that things are up to code and we can put lights and sound where we want it. The literal glue. <laughs> Literally the glue. Like you, like you want it. We'll just show you MacGyver. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes I feel like it. So now that I know your backgrounds, I'm guessing that if I were sitting over there on the sofa, I could be served up some hellacious cocktails and have some fabulous entertainment just from the people in that room and yeah. the people that they know. You pretty much get fully serviced. <laughs> that's that's uh after hours yeah what we're the table won't wobble oh, but I mean, full service. i'm sorry full service full service <laughs> what, what we're really excited about here at red eye is that you know it's around the clock venture and anything can happen you show up in the morning it's a coffee bar full service coffee bar where you can you know grab something on your way to work you can stop in and, you know, just chill, have an espresso, write a script. Uh, you know, we're going to be having rehearsals in our, our dance club area. So it's, it's really kind of like a, a gay community center. And then throughout the day, it transitions into something maybe a little bit more sexy. We uh, In the afternoon, we're going to have live podcasts. Um, we already have one in-house called Thought Light. It's like the gives the New York City buzz. And then at nighttime, um, at the beginning of the nighttime, we're going to be producing our famous, you know, cabaret series, our, our legend series, both on Fire Island and here in the city. Um, and that's going to be like the best of Broadway, cabaret acts, big bands that we love. And then at night, it's it's a full, you know, disco. It's just like a dance club. And that's just upstairs. Downstairs is the cockpit. You want to tell them about the cockpit or is yeah. that is that another episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah we the can touch on that i think if i'm not mistaken uh and i've i believe i've touched on this in other uh conversations with daniel and uh frankie sharp is he's involved in the cockpit concept right he's you know? doing his new year's eve party down there for sure oh uh, okay yeah he's, yeah he's just producing our new year's um, downstairs, so we kind of divided and conquered because it's a huge space, but it's really exciting because we can invite in other producers to be able to kind of play and have fun. But downstairs is the cockpit, and that was actually Adam's idea, uh, which is really fun. You know, upstairs is like kind of red eye. It's like the airport lounge, very sleek, sexy, but a little buttoned up and classy. And then downstairs, it's, it's where you find the, the hot mechanics. Exactly. exactly. It's the airplane. Anger. In the cockpit. <laughs> when the flight's delayed, you got to go down yeah, into exactly. the cockpit. Yeah. It's the idea of kind of bringing a, you know, always keeping with this idea of being transported somewhere. We, we wanted to lay into this airline, airplane, lounge sort of theme without hitting it on the nose or being too tongue in cheek. So it was the idea that we could, bring in a European vibe for a place that was going to be open from a late happy hour time, somewhere in the five to eight range. We haven't quite figured out. We're going to let the space speak for itself. Um, but that you could have something that was a little more masculine or dark or seedier, you know, you tend to stay away from the word masculine because all are welcome. But, you know, in the gay community, those who have a little more open-mindedness yeah. tend to, you know, identify that way. Um, but just that so we could bring this European, darker, edgier vibe. It's not going to have the beautiful cocktail menu that Sam has upstairs, but it's going to have, you know, great beats, great service. But P 
people of a different mind may venture down the stairs. We're bringing Berlin to Port Authority. Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> so I noticed um, Daniel's eyes lit up when you said tongue in cheek. Did that have something to do with the comment? Specifically, or are you just being a little Probably holding in some dad joke? <laughs> no, I have the mind in the gutter again. Everything we do is sort of with a wink, you know what I mean? So it's like I like when people get that. I just did an interview recently about the cockpit. And I said, It's going to be like seedy and sexy, but with a smile. I just like the idea that everything's a little bit at the end of the day, you know, nightlife is like pleasure is my business, right? So it's like I, I don't take I try not to take it super seriously. I think it should be fun. I've often seen, like, we know this from a friend of ours who does parties that did something with us this summer, I, who shall remain nameless. Uh, if a promoter is not having a good time and is just annoying, then the party just has a way of being annoying. Right. So I think a good time, you know. So Within- from what I've heard so far, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be going on in that building. And before we get too far into the details of what these specific – uh, events are and I want to talk a little bit about the bar itself so where exactly is it located in Manhattan 41st and 9th Avenue like across the street from Port Authority like Literally. you watch all the buses leave from our front door <laughs> it's insanity and all day long up and down the street there's like people rolling suitcases getting coming from Newark going traveling it's I, at the time when Taylor came up with the name Red Eye and Why, I was a little like, I don't know. And a friend of ours said, oh, that's a horrible name. <laughs> now it really fits. Like, it really might. It makes sense because there's so much travel around us. Everyone's going somewhere. And the energy is, like, palpable. Especially so, now you know, that, like, post-COVID, everything's kind of opened back up. It does feel so kinetic. It yeah. feels like like people are just coming and going and coming and going. And and that's so much of New York city nightlife, you know, in New York, people don't really park and just stay somewhere all night. It's like they bar hop. They're, you know, going to go to one bar and get another bar and then maybe pop in a sex club. And so there's this kinetic energy in New York that I'm really excited to be a part well, of. That would be more coming and coming. coming, and, coming <laughs> and, going. Well, and I mean, we also we're coming and coming and we, going. We as, a team, we as a team kind of hate the word homage because there's a way that you can polish tradition and really revive things. And, you know, from the 50s, 60s, 70s, there were tons of homosexual men that were forced out by their family and they would get on a Greyhound or an Amtrak. And this was their first New York City experience, Port Authority, the gateway to Hell's Kitchen. So what more appropriate than to offer something that is so LGBTQIA plus leaning with the arts and the sex and body positivity forwardness of what we do. It just seemed the perfect landmark place to really revive for what, you know, six decades had been the landing place for safe space searching homosexuals. Well, and I must we're very, I must we're admit. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. On that uh, no, we painted the building bright red, so you will have no issue finding us. It's it's red from the top to bottom. So I know when uh, when I first spoke to Daniel in his previous interview, which focused more on some other New York City uh, club adventures of his past and the uh, underwear party, he mentioned to me Red Eye, and I guess for whatever reason, I was thinking of more you know, the conjunctivitis variety or something. I wasn't exla- exactly <laughs> sure where I was going with that. But, you were uh, <laughs> or the inebriated state, of, you know, state at the end of the night where your eyes are all bloodshot. Yeah. But 
I think this gives you, now that I know that the position of the building, where it is and what the focus is, you know, there's so many opportunities for, as you, as you mentioned earlier, Adam, uh, tongue in cheek remarks re involving everything from, you know, baggage to pat downs to whatever that you Holy can incorporate and kind of build on that. So everybody that sees red eye knows what the connection is. Right. Well, as an example, we uh, we acquired these galley carts from American Airlines through a connection of Adams, and we had those, you know, redone and vinyled, but they're, they're authentic airline carts that come down, and those will be coming down during service. Yeah. So the idea is we want to have lots of experiences within the space that are a nod to that. There is obviously Absolutely. a point where you go too far and it becomes a little- Like when Taylor does the Mile High Club in the bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we walk that line, you know, and, you know, maybe sometimes we'll overstep it and sometimes we won't go far enough. But, you know, we want, we don't want to just be like an airline bar, but there are really obvious moments and opportunities <laughs> to lean into that, to like, to your point, to kind of communicate what it is we're doing. <laughs> So how big is this space? It's just under 5,000 square feet. When you, when you go wall to wall, we're somewhere in about the 4,600 range. Now, obviously you have to include restrooms, coat checks, maintenance rooms and stuff like that. I would say that the public space lends itself to about 3,000 square feet of walking, sitting, drinking, dancing. And it's kind of divided into three spaces. It's the, the coffee bar in the front that is all the the coffee service and then our our you know main bar and there's the back area which is like a really versatile like kind of club space with a huge stage a dressing room and then downstairs in the cockpit it's just like a big somewhat phallic shaped bar and a dance floor um so it it's uh kind of we can have three separate things going on all at once which is great so on the top floor, there are what, two floors or three? Two. Two floors. So upstairs, what is the general vibe? What's the decor up there? What's the concept of that space? You got to come check it out. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted it to be uh, clean, like European and sleek, um, you know, not to feel like an airline lounge, but... We wanted it to be to sleek. We're going to have it open during the day. So unlike a lot of queer spaces where, you know, myriad sins are hidden by dark lighting, we're open 21 hours a day. So we wanted to make sure things could look nice in the natural light. So it's much sleeker in that regard. Um, so, you know, grays and blacks and chromes and, uh, you know, we have our, our color palette that we've, you know, been careful to appoint in different areas, but Essentially, you'll walk in the front bar. There's the, the coffee bar, a big, beautiful red espresso machine, you know, our big, long, 30-foot-long bar. And then that leads into the main club room, which actually closes off. So then you get into the club space, which also doubles as our theater space. We have a large, tall stage with a dressing room behind it. So we can do cabaret shows, ticketed events in the evening. And then all those chairs that you have out for these, these shows all get tucked under the stage in these huge drawers, and then all of a sudden opens up to be a dance floor. So at any point in the day, it could be any number of configurations, but the spaces all can act independently or together, depending on what it is we have going on. Which is a brilliant concept. I have mentioned that to numerous bar owners over the years, 
Um, I've been involved in some sort of fashion or other since the 80s with uh, gay club owners being involved either as a uh, magazine publisher or journalist or, um, you know, whatever. And I have seen so many people fail because they build a fabulous 5,000 square foot space that is one big room. That's and one, you... that, that was one purpose. Exactly. That's the, that's the big mistake. We've learned from our mistakes and other experiences. You know what, when I had club coming, it was like when you had an event, a ticketed event, if people walked up just to have a cocktail and you had a ticketed event, they were turned away and you lose those people because they don't want to come back because they're not sure. You know, with us, you're able to come in and still have a drink or go downstairs, which will not have a lot of programming, you know, for happy hour and stuff. And you can still go in. It's just the back room where we'll have ticketed events. Right. And and beside that, you know, earlier in the evening or in the middle of the afternoon, the bar is probably not going to be packed to capacity like it would be on a weekend night. So you don't want somebody walking into 5,000 square feet of space and seeing even 50 people because it looks empty. So exactly. by being able to close it off and you know, schedule events in different places, you get to keep the, the intimacy of the space without um, making everybody feel like they're uh, you know, alone on an island with you know, Tom Hanks. Yeah, and also I feel the culture's just changed a lot. You know what I mean? Like people listen to podcasts a lot, right? And the ability to go watch some of your favorite podcasts is just new. It's interesting, you know? Uh, I love the whole podcast platform. I think it's really fascinating. The fact that you can get information out there, you can get, people can get well-known. They don't have to have like a journalism degree. It fascinates me, the whole so there's that, and of course we love coffee, you know, and it's a real community building thing. Coffee, you know, it's it it helps poorer countries when you buy coffee from them. It has a lot of you know community sort of togetherness in the gay community. Uh, it's a great way for people that don't drink to meet. Yeah, that's that's one of the other big components. There is it really bridges that gap. There are a lot of people in the queer community that do not drink. And the only thing that queer nightlife generally has to offer them are drink-oriented events. And by incorporating coffee and espresso into that, you're giving somebody something of value um, that isn't just, you know, uh, a seltzer or a Diet Coke. You know, they can actually have something that they're going to enjoy and still participate in whatever's happening. And I think to tip our hat as well, we, we tend to stay very conscious with people uh, we of where we're spending our pink dollar. So, like... The person we purchase our coffee from is a gay coffee farmer who roasts his own and distributes his own beans and coffee. And and more so, there's such a great sustainable story. Rather than using those more chemically packed name brand energy drinks, he uses the coffee cherry from his trees and creates an energy drink called Lotus, which is just caffeine, no chemical. And you wouldn't notice the difference of the marketable taste. So it's really all around and you know hats off to sam he really did the research on finding that person and the three of us flew out to taylor sam and i flew out to like learn how to be baristas and basically where this thing comes from its roots in the ground to the bag we get at the door so you can serve some fancy coffee drinks right you've got the full barista thing going down oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah no limits now one question i get from a lot of people who do go to coffee shops particularly uh, it seems to come up with the one name brand giant that's out there. Yeah. Um, when somebody orders a specialty coffee from you, I have two questions for you. Question number one is, do you get the ingredients right? And question number two is, do you get their name right? 
<laughs> well, we won't be writing any names on cups. We're, we tend to try to have a more personal experience. Um, and I would say, you know, in the name of that giant, like we won't be over roasting and um, there's probably not going to be, do you want a whipped cream on that sort of thing? But I mean, right. you will be able to have really high quality ingredients and Sam and Taylor have been wonderful. Uh, you know, they're so smart with making cocktails and it's, you know, really what we're getting in has been carefully chosen. You know, the things are going to have natural ingredients. We're not putting a lot of fake shit or extra sugars that aren't required. For instance, one of our, one of our name brand or one of our signature cocktails rather is it's a beet juice derivative, you know, like actual boiled down beets. So it's not, you know, you're not getting high fructose corn syrup in one of our fancy caramel macchiatos. And the sizes are in English because it's just fucking annoying. <laughs> well, I, I think those sizes in Italian-ish uh, don't even make sense in Italian. So, no, you know, they don't. I'm not exactly are, sure what tall means in Italian. I don't think it makes sense. meant for more like going, taking and going. They don't make it a very hospitable place. And, and that's not a slow... They're, they do a great business. I would kill to do the business, trust me. <laughs> but like, um, you go to a Starbucks, it's often cold. They don't want you staying very much. Like we're kind of, because we have that big back room during the day, you're welcome to come and stay for hours. You know what I mean? We want like people that are writing the next great American novel or writing a Broadway musical. You know, that's the kind of thing we love. Like, you know, Broadway actors between auditions coming to learn lines. I mean, we're we have we awful we also have this live streaming capability, so you could come in and and record a taped audition if you wanted to in our space. You know, we're not trying to be everything to everyone, but we're we are trying to sort of we're morphing with the way the market has changed. Like mega clubs don't make sense in New York. Six months ago, they announced a club called Nebula, and I'm not talking shit about them, but I haven't heard a word about them since. It was supposed to be like. 25,000 square feet or something like that. They just, it, New York doesn't, in Brooklyn they have them, but it doesn't really facilitate like in the city as much anymore. So we're kind of a few different smaller spaces. Well, and from what I've seen, and there's other um, clubs that have done a similar concept to what you're doing a while back. I interviewed um, two women from uh, Washington, D.C. that opened up a bar called As You Are Bar. And while they're not going to the extent that you are, I don't think, on the entertainment side, they still had that same kind of vibe of daytime coffee shop, study area, Wi-Fi, et cetera, uh, accessible to people under the age of 21 in their case. I don't know if you can do that in your coffee shop, but uh, that was – you can. During the day, yeah. Yeah. That's how power hits. Sorry, the kid's got to go. <laughs> All right. But that still gives the younger people, especially the ones in their mid to late teens, an opportunity to dip their toe in that, you know, alphabet soup and yeah. find out where they belong and who they are and meet other people that can relate to their specific uh, challenges at that time. One thing that we've heard over and over again, and, and something that we've modeled this off of was the big cup. Um, we were just talking with one of our employees the other day about how that that was the big cup was so integral to their coming out um, at a time when there weren't a lot of resources about, you know, what what is it like to be queer? What does this even mean? Um, they they were able to go to a space that wasn't a, surrounded by alcohol, that wasn't revolving around alcohol to to learn and to come out and and i think it's really exciting that we can kind of bring a, a piece of that back well i could relate to that too because you know my first bar experience was 100 years ago 
um, in the late seventies. And at that time I went out six nights a week and I drank every night and it didn't matter if I had to work the next morning. Cause that was just what you did. You right. know, I lived in Atlanta most of that time. Um, it was a different scene, but now when I go out, you know, I'm not saying I'm not going to have a couple of cocktails, but I would be just as happy to be socializing with, you know, some sort of a, um, soft drink or a coffee or, you know, some other kind of beverage, because it's not about the alcohol anymore. Um, DUI laws have gotten too strict. There's too many other things that happen. Uh, sometimes depending on the bar, you have CD characters that come in and try to spike your drinks and who knows right. what happens. So I try, you know, it's the, the alcohol isn't as, as much a, an important part to me anymore, but what I do like, and I'm sure because of the fact that you have baristas, you, you kind of probably mirror that in the bar area. You also probably serve craft cocktails, right? Yeah, we also serve spirit-free cocktails as well because there's a, a large contingent of people that want to go out and whether they've had a drinking problem in the past or they just can see tomorrow better than most of us, they, <laughs> they don't want to feel a certain way in the morning or they want to go out on a Wednesday night with their friends and staying out later means feeling better in the morning and that, that often happens without drinks. And we, we've even done our research on that, finding some really well-thought-out, well-researched, well-produced, um, spirit-free alcohols that we've been able to make some really nice cocktails with i like to say that it's very choose your own adventure you know like you can show up and you can order uh irish coffee you know add that little spike uh if that's what's going to get you through the day or you can you know just skip straight to happy hour <laughs> um you know it, it's uh really choose your own adventure which goes along with red eye you're kind of transported to wherever you want to go and sam's done a really great job of curating a coffee inspired espresso inspired um cocktail menu um so we have our our signature red eye espresso martini which is delicious yeah, it's really good <laughs> sam has gotten us so tipsy <laughs> over the past couple months like fussing around with this drink and he somehow managed to create the most caffeinated version. It's two shots of espresso and cold brew liqueur and uh, uh, the best um, Stoli Elite vodka. So it's just, it's delicious. It's so strong. And so like, it's just worth every cent. Yeah, a little dabble, do you? <laughs> and, and, yeah, a dabble, do you? But, but if that's what you choose for your adventure, then you are going to go all night. Yeah, uh, it's it's so fun. And, and that's what I kind of love about this space is that you you get to decide what you want to do, where you want to go, what enter, what your you know destination is for the night. And let me say, Sam, that um, Patrick Gallino appreciates the fact that you're using Stolia Lee. Uh, <laughs> we, love, we love Patrick. We're actually going to see Patrick later tonight. <laughs> oh, uh, well, give him a huge hug for me. Absolutely. Um, funny story about about Patrick and I've interviewed him as well. He was an early interview for me, but um, I had known him on social media and through emails and text messages and such for quite a while, but I'd never actually met him. And about a year ago, I was with my roommate down in uh, Wilton Manors and we were crossing Wilton Drive, uh, just at a street corner going across. I think we were heading toward uh, Georgie's Alibi. And I, had to stop because there was traffic. And I looked to my right and I looked to my roommate and I said, I think that's Patrick. And I said, Hey Patrick. And he turned around. I mean, he's so recognizable, the flamboyant outfits that the kind of modif 
She's a very handsome woman, yes. <laughs> and that uh, modified mohawk hair going on, very, and an excellent ambassador for Stoli. He does a great job. Uh, so I'm, I'm really glad that you're using the products in the bar there as well. So somebody mentioned earlier, and I'm not sure, I think it might've been Taylor, that um, there's a little bit different uh, menu going on there. Do you serve food in the in the main level, on the upstairs level? It's going to be like small bites. Basically, you know, in New York, we we joke about Cuomo chips. But one thing everyone discovered during the pandemic was that New York state law does require every place that serves alcohol to serve food. A lot of them didn't. But of them did. yeah. but you, or if they did, it was like really shitty, really food. shitty. Um, you know, we are going to be a coffee bar by day. And so it makes sense to have small bites. So um, that's something that Sam and I are still kind of like tinkering with because we want it to be quality. We also don't have a kitchen. We have a coffee bar area. So it's it's a limited, you know, in New York, you're kind of strapped for square footage. So we're trying to make it as good as our cocktail menu um, we also wanted to kind of transport you as well. So uh, we love the idea of like getting empanadas, getting a Cubano, having like, you know, patatas brava, something tapas-y. Um, So we're kind of, uh, we're still like putting the finishing touches on that. It'll be ready by the time that we're open, open. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we want it to be thoughtful and, and you know, delicious. Yeah, and that, I was just going to say, it's also part of our, you know, partnering with other queer business owners um, Daniel, uh, we've been working with someone who came, we did a little press moment and had this, uh, company for the name, um, uh, Sweetwood. Oh yeah. Uh, Sugarwood. 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 And they were there and they make genitalia shaped waffle treats. And so part of our food options. And they're delicious. Oh yeah. I have like four. <laughs> yeah. They're incredible. And so we're, we're also trying to find opportunities to partner, partner with other small minority-owned businesses that have clever food offerings that we can partner with. Yeah, our food was really good. You tried to sit on one, didn't you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> um, we also we also were um, partnering with the, the Shortbread Society. Yeah, uh, sure. they're, yeah. they're queer owned. Which is like a, a Scottish shortbread. Because the thing is, is that because we're we're a coffee bar, but really because we're a gay coffee bar, we're expecting that everyone's expecting quality. You know what I mean? Gays have a right. little bit a little bitchy. So um, we want to make sure that we are offering the best that we can. You know, quality we don't really eat garbage, but quality, quality control. Control, control exactly. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I know you mentioned that all bars in New York have to have um, a food element to them. And I'm sure there's some numbers involved with that. 20% of sales or something have to be from non-alcohol. There was um, a lot of states have done that over the years. And there was a couple of bars I'd been to in the past that uh, used to do interesting things to get around that. So they would either have like a tiny little bowl of chips and a tiny bowl of pretzels on a table somewhere. And then they would charge a $5 cover to get in and say that it was for the buffet. Right. So everybody that comes in automatically spends $5 for two pretzels and a potato chip. I, I, um, and that same bar also used to break out their drink prices. So if you order a rum and a Coke, you got a rum and a Coke. 
and the Coke counted as food because it was not alcohol. Um, right. So they were really pushing the envelope there. And, but and I can tell were, from from your plan that that's, I mean, obviously the coffee shop itself should take care of your food requirement. Yeah, well, in New York, there there actually isn't any requirement on the sales, but it does need to be offered at, at any hour that you're open. Um, but I'm kind of excited about having, being that place that somebody with the munchies at 3 a.m. is like, I'm going to go get a delicious, you know, empanada from Red Eye. And then they come in and they're like, actually, I want an espresso martini too. <laughs> 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 Which is fine. Yeah, on the side, on the side. <laughs> Which is probably like a dangerous combo, <laughs> depending on what your destination is for the rest of the evening. But, um, you know, like one of my favorite uh, New York moments, uh, unrelated to, to Red Eye, was I went to this bar where it's connected to a roti shop. And so they were literally like passing like Indian roti through the wall. And I just love like it, that's such a New York thing. You really like kind of find weird, weird ways to make it work. And and it's, you know, like speaking to not everyone loves alcohol. So I kind of love the idea that somebody like wants to come in and have food. Well, and also when you're serving some, when you're serving really strong, like uh, espresso drinks, like when I get really caffeinated, I need to eat something. It kind of levels me up. You know what I mean? And so I feel like it's just a service that you should offer. Plus people stick around longer when there's food options, you know, right? just figuring out what food options really are great because we've all been to a Starbucks and had to buy something because you're on the road and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get that little packet with an egg a boiled egg and a pet thing of peanut butter and, and a couple of apples. A raisin peanut butter. Exactly. Like, I kind of want to offer something that's like that, but a lot better. I mean, I don't use coffee as my excuse. I'll just tell you straight out, I'm an eating gay. Like, I've got no problem eating whatever. <laughs> um, and, like, one of my favorite ones, there's a very famous dance club in Berlin. And at its highest point, it has a little tiny shop. You walk up these stairs, and you can get anything from a smoothie to a vanilla ice cream to a turkey sandwich. And you will find me coming off the dance floor at like six o'clock in the morning to have half a turkey sandwich and an ice cream and then back down and start dancing again. Did you see that the Eagle was serving paella this week? No, thank you. Whoa. They have I love the Eagle. I love paella. Those are not too That's a dangerous either. thing if you got a bunch of people running around in chaps. Yeah, I'm fascinated. <laughs> Nothing says sexy jockstrap like shellfish and rice. <laughs> so... We've talked a little bit about the upstairs portion of it and uh, and the cafe, but you mentioned also the cockpit. So the cockpit sounds to me like something that is more up the alley of the kind of nitty gritty underground scene of New York from a couple of decades back. Exactly. Yep. It's really stems from my, so my idea of it was, and it wasn't just my idea, but you know, I was at a party recently talking to a guy a few months ago, talking to these guys, and they were like, we just wanted to go out with our friends to have drinks. And every bar we stepped into in Hell's Kitchen, there was a drag queen on stage. And then when you're trying to talk to your friends, the drag queens are like, hey, you know, listen or get out. It's like, we didn't come. We didn't pay for this. Like, we, I didn't sign right. up for this. <laughs> and, um, and so we thought we wanted a space where you could go hang out with your friends. It's like... Adam said, sort of masculine, whatever that is means to you. Could you close the refrigerator door, by the way? Um, and 
sorry, I got distracted by that. Um, and and sort of like doesn't have a lot of overprogramming. You know, we're gonna do things like strip trivia, things like that that are fun, but like not. You can still come in and talk. You know what I mean? And that's sort of for me. That's what it is. It's sort of a bar that you can hose down at the end of the night that is not fussy. Upstairs is going to be a little more that, you know, a little bit more curated. Let's put it that way. Downstairs is real rough and tumble, like a bunker. You, I want to go there if there's when World War Three hits. <laughs> I would more actually. Like, more like a man cave. Yeah, it's yeah. like a man cave. What are you speaking of? Taylor. Um, <laughs> that's that man hole. That's man hole. Sorry. <laughs> so do you find that there's a different clientele how long first of all how long have you been open i know you just haven't been open that long actually not even open yet we oh. we just did a sneak peek um for for friends and and family so we're we're on the precipice of opening it's it's actually uh like the day before new year's is going to be our launch yeah oh, so wow. we're very excited but we're we're not open so we've been doing things like inviting people in for the coffee portion of it or doing the live podcasts or doing some photo shoots and stuff but we're doing things sort of in increments before the big sort of new year's week of of stuff that we have going on you know jimmy james is doing a show here you're familiar with jimmy right i am i actually have a picture of myself with jimmy james from i think 1988 in atlanta georgia and it scared me when I looked at it because I saw how my hair was kind of, you know, very blonde and flipped up in the front. And my shirt was starched so much I could have cut my finger on it. Um, <laughs> so it kind of scared me looking at that picture. But, yes, I've known Jimmy for quite a while. And I think he was interview number two or three in the series. And we're we're beyond 100 now. So that's great. Wow. wow, that's great. Congratulations. Yeah, so it's that. And then on the, the next, the 30th New Year's Eve, we have a a big orchestra that does like the music for Woody Allen films and Martin Scorsese films. And they're going to do like a, a little bit of an older from seven until a, a 10 o'clock at night, like a big band swing night, which is from my experience, unheard of in the gay community. Like I've never gone to an event like this, but we wanted to see the space in a diff- used in a different way. We're kind of right now in a very experimental, like let's try this. Let's how do the podcast work live? And we're, setting it all up so that we can really hit the ground running on New Year's. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we all, all four of us share in common is we all come from theater. We all have a theatrical background and, and, you know, we've been producing events all over the city for decades now. And so it was really important to us when we built this space out that we were really serving the talent and the audience with how we're able to execute our programming. So, um, I don't know where how I got started on that, but well, um, it, but, yeah, because we were we were talking about um, being open, and and one thing that we also are working on, one of the reasons why it's taken so long, is that we've outfitted the entire space with um, live streaming capability. Daniel had mentioned earlier one thing that they learned during the pandemic is like one, you don't know when you're not going to be able to be in person again. God willing, it never ever happens again. But the reality is that. It it's opened up a new avenue of being able to to invite people in when they're not even in person. Um, we were doing like drag race streaming parties, and we were amazed by people tuning in from all over the world. People would be waking up in Australia and joining us 
for a viewing of Drag Race. Uh, and this was like in the middle of the pandemic. And it was so cool. And it made us think like, oh, wow, we don't just have to offer, you know, our programming to people who are with us here on 41st and 9th. They can tune in from Ohio. They can tune in from the other side of the globe. Um, so we're excited to be able to offer everything that we're, we're producing in person, also to be able to join us online. And you can check that out on our website, redeyeny.com. And that's redeyeny.com? Yes. So I'll have to make sure to put that in the credits as well so people will see that. Um, so I'm guessing, I think, I don't know who it was, but um, it might have been Daniel, said you were open 21 hours a day. Is that correct? So is that from, I'm gonna, let me guess here, 6 a.m. to 3 a.m.? So 7 a.m. to 4 a.m. Okay, I was close. Yeah. So do you anticipate being open, you know, by being open so early in the morning that you're going to also pick up some Port Authority traffic, some people coming off, you know, into town and not gay, not caring, not looking for entertainment, but they just want a nice coffee and a place to chillax while they, you know. Just the sex workers coming off shift. Yeah, exactly. That too. No, I think definitely we might we'll have some walk up traffic, but because of this street, while it's like so incredibly located, like we're one one block away from Forty Second Street, like the busiest street in the world, but it's just tucked in enough where unless you're coming onto the street for a reason, like you're go, you're go, we're the only commercial space on this entire block. So everything else is like the post office, the backside of the post office. So not even where you would go as a patron and the backside of Port Authority. So it's kind of tucked in in this really cool way that we're so impossibly easy to get to. But unless you're coming here on purpose, you're probably not coming by this way, which I think, yes, we will inevitably have people walk in and come by and just check us out. But by and large, if you're coming here, you're coming here because you meant to. We I, also- I do need to clarify one thing because you mentioned something that is a completely foreign concept to me. What exactly is a post office? <laughs> we we haven't even talked about the history of the space. And, and that's actually really interesting because we've gotten so much walk up from people who used to know, um, you know, Tobacco Road or uh, 441, 441 Bikini Bar, Bar. Um, a lot of people, club. yeah, so all these people are, are coming up and they're like, oh my God, I used to dance here. This is where I got my start. Or, oh, I used to love the girls here. Are you, are you bringing back the titty bar? And both of those dead on uh, <laughs> style of people that Taylor's giving you are like 70 or 80. There, uh, like they, it was a while ago. Oh, yeah. Here. A woman walked up and she was like, This is where I got my start as a dancer. I was one of the first trans dancers in this area to really become popular. And I owe it all this space. And I'm so excited to see that you guys are reopening. So, she's like princess something. Yeah. We, so we have all these people, we have all these people who, who are really excited to, to come back and kind of see this become a performance space again, to see it become. This Maybe green. you can kind of memorialize them a little bit. Ask her to bring you a picture of her from back in the day and start a wall of the history of the building. And, you know, just so people get to see that and know what, you know, what predates, you know, what it is now. Oh, I went further. I asked her for a reprise performance. Right. We. <laughs> I think it would be so fun. We'll name a drink after him, too. There you go. So what else was in that space beside this, this city bar? 
So it was LaFleur's, which was a gay strip club that I've gone, I went to once. John LaFleur had this space on 42nd Street, and supposedly he was in exile for something happened on 42nd Street right next to the Chinese restaurant around the corner where you get cigarettes. And he moved it into here for a while. It was LaFleur's. Uh, the Savoy was a jazz club. Um, bikini bar where all the waitresses or cocktail waitresses wore bikinis. And I came into that. It was also a rock club called Tobacco Road. I went once. They had an awful band playing in the back. No one's fault. We all you know, we all <laughs> we all suffered awful bands sometime in our life, right? Um, but it was like it's a really it's a really cool space. Um, we it's gutted. I mean, it's completely it's the same sort of layout, but I mean, it's all new. Like we dug out the basement four feet to create the cockpit, which is how it got the pit part of it. You and know. you did that personally? You were actually down there with a shovel. No, I touched dirt. We <laughs> we have actually, all of us have literally built the space out by hand. I mean, and that's been really rewarding. It's been challenging. Uh, but, but we didn't dig, we didn't dig the basement. No, but we literally have built the bars. We yeah, 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 yeah. But I think he's asking. I did not carry a bucket of dirt out. There were people doing it for like four months. No, but we actually were in, we've been uh, involved in the construction every yeah, single yeah. step of the way from like we literally designed the space ourselves it's really cool to be able to do that because we learned a lot from the mistakes that clubs have made that we've been in so a lot of clubs won't give up the retail space for a dressing room because it's like whatever so then you hear these drag queens tell stories of having to get ready in the public bathroom so or in their car well that doesn't apply in new york city but down here but we have in the cab, I mean, because they're usually hitting on the, the driver, so they, they're double duty. Well, it also, it just, it allows us, it allows us to extend that idea of saying that we're a safe space by really encompassing everything you need to. I right. mean, people can be in their, you know, their boy dress or however they prefer to, to be in the real world and get themselves safely or, you know, there's these horror stories of drag queens not being able to hail a cab at 4.15 in the morning when they're done at the bar or something or right. the performance place. Whereas, you know, we offer a place for you to wash your face where you can shower after the show, you know, and put everything back into a suitcase and just leave like you're leaving Port Authority. And we have an apartment upstairs. We take in the four apartments upstairs. So where we're right now is an apartment that we took, which has what we're sitting on, basically a trundle bed for guests. So if like a queen gets too drunk or, you know, we get someone from out of town, they can literally stay. Jimmy's going to be staying here. Jimmy James stayed right upstairs. Yeah, we're burnt. Say, you know, I'm a I'm a little bit disappointed. Next time you next time you go through this adventure, I think the four of you should all dress like Dorothy from Kansas and have a little pink bucket with a, tea, a spoonful of dirt prancing up to the <laughs> to the sidewalk as a promo picture for you know you're going to dig this place or something. Well, you gotta, instead of, instead of Toto, we have to. Tabasco. Right, exactly. Tabasco <laughs> is our little our photo. photo. Exactly. It's <laughs> very funny, though. No, we have we do have stewardess outfits, which we haven't been able to wear yet, <laughs> which we can't wait to sort of just be like, come fly with us, you know. Except yeah, you're not going to be using... You're not going to be using flashlights or anything. I can imagine they're going to be more latex oriented. Flashlights. <laughs> Flash oh, flashlights. There you go. <laughs> And they're going to say red eye on the side, right? Exactly, exactly. But I, I can tell you've done a great job. And everybody that's watching this video, that picture behind you of the bar makes it look just huge. I mean, that space looks cavernous from... This is the velvet. 
You're joking. Yeah. You're joking. <laughs> this is yeah. Belvedere, actually. You know the Belvedere on Fire Island? In Jerry? Uh-huh. I was bequeathed to this by an artist that died recently. He was older. And he took pictures of the Belvedere. So we love it. Absolutely beautiful. So I'm going to ask each one of you individually, I'll just call out your name and ask you to tell me what your personal favorite thing about the red eye is. It could be part, it could be the space. It could be the drinks. It could be the entertainment. It could be the coffee, whatever. And we're going to start with Taylor. What's your favorite thing? That is a good question. I'm going to say the company just because we, at the end of the day, it's about who you're with. Um, that's one of my favorite parts of nightlife is I get to hang out with amazing people, amazing staff, amazing patrons, and, you know, my business partners. Like we, this has been a very trying <laughs> few years of, you know, it's it's been actually two years in the making, um, getting this up, but but it's been a joy getting to work with them and, and create something that I think is going to last a really, really long time and, and bring joy to other people. So it's, it's the company for me. What about you, Adam? Uh, for me, it's, you know, it's the, it kind of ties in with Taylor, but I'll try to give you a different answer. For me, it's the, it's the completion of it all. I'm, I'm very, I don't know if my actions are practical, but my mind works practically. So I do, I deal a lot with the architects and the drawings and where the lights are supposed to go and the, you know, the power loads and the plumbing and seeing it all actually being completed. And and we've really had to lean on some very talented and wonderful friends that have become family and part of this crew, everything from our lighting people and our sound techs and all their knowledge they have of different clubs. So it's really, as we, you know, forever push towards the finish line and, and no club's really ever done. You know, the patrons kind of let you know, like, oh, maybe this would be a better idea or this door over here or if this wasn't a bath, you know, sort of things like that. Um, but for me, it's it's really seeing what was in our mind's eye becoming something very tangible and, and real, you know. And Sam? Yeah, I think what I am most excited about is the versatility of the space. You know, we talked about how it can function in so many different ways. And at the end of the day, we're here to create community. I think that's what brings us all to this business. And we have created a space that really addresses something for everybody. Not every party is for everybody. Not everyone's going to like a particular talent. But if you don't like this show, you'll probably love the one that's on tomorrow night. Or if you don't like to go out to shows, you like to sit and have some coffee. There really is going to be an opportunity for everybody to get something out of this space. And uh, I think there's something really, really special to that. Wow. And least but not last. Wait a minute. That wasn't right. Last (laughs) but not least, Daniel, what is it that you love about Red Eye? I, I have to say, you know podcasts it's what got me through covid you know it was two years ago yesterday that this idea of a podcast station came to me because sam and i were working on a serial podcast for um for audible with lauren michaels from saturday night live and i was listening to a lot of podcasts and i just was really inspired by the medium and i just thought what an exciting Thing. I've already said this before, but the idea of doing it live. So I, I pitched it to Audible. I said, why don't we do live podcasts here? And they're really, they were very into the idea. 
And I just think there's something really cool about it. No one's doing it really. I mean, no gay bar that I know is doing it. I mean, they will be soon, but um, they there's no one really doing it. And I just, it's a fun medium for me and it's just new. I mean, I've done shows, I've done sexy parties. I've done, you know, most everything we're doing, I've done already, but I've never programmed podcasts and got to be sort of, radio is the coolest thing to me. So that's kind of, for me, the most exciting part. Yeah. And, you know, the, the podcast thing you mentioned, the one silver lining that I can see, might be two, but the one in pri primarily from COVID is that it introduced us to formats like Zoom. Yeah. Before that, it was kind of awkward to do teleconferencing and everybody had a different program they used and they were all kind of sketchy. But Zoom kind of came to the rescue during uh, during COVID and made all this possible where we can pretty much communicate with anybody in the world for next to nothing, uh, just with a, a computer and a webcam or a smartphone. Yeah. And it connected us so well. And I, as you know, um, during COVID, I've done over a hundred of those of these interviews. So I've spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people that I would not have connected with um, without that, you know, that format. And I think the other thing is it also made us appreciate, I think we were getting very lackadaisical about the importance of gay spaces, about, you know, gay bars and gay restaurants and coffee shops and community in general. Um, eh, I don't need that. I can, I can see a gay guy at the mall. I can see a gay guy at Applebee's, whatever. And suddenly when COVID shut everything down, we realized, Hey, we, we missed that part of our life. We want that back. And so I think it's helping people like you who had the foresight to start planning this a couple of years ago to come in now that the, the COVID scare has kind of died down somewhat and people are starting to return to normalcy and to bring us, you know, some fresh ideas and fresh blood in the in the gay entertainment scene. So, well, I, I I said it a lot during COVID, and I meant it, which was it was a rare time in New York. Sure, the city was really suffering, but rents were really low. Commercial rents were really low. The city was empty. Like it was a really wild time to be in New York. But I said it's an amazing time. Everyone complains that they're not enough small. It's hard to start a business. It's hard to start a business. But it was a time where it was actually a lot easier to get a lease. It was easy to get an apartment. I mean, really easy to get an apartment. You know, I had friends who could get into buildings that you could never get into, you know. Um, and I just thought it was an amazing time to, like, reinvent what we know nightlife to be to some degree and reinvent, like, what we consider gay spaces to be. Not just gay, but for me, it was a gay space. And so it was an exciting time. I mean, I hope we never have to go through it again, but it was a really good time um, to reinvent ourselves. And that's kind of what we did. Sam and Taylor went from being bartenders to becoming owners in that time. It was, I'm sure they'll regret it in a few okay. months. <laughs> if they didn't already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So when you went looking for the space to actually start this bar, were you looking specifically in that neighborhood? I know Hell's Kitchen has kind of jumped out of nowhere, becoming the new kind of mecca for um, or some sort of revitalization. There's another gay bar that's, what, a block or two away from you that opened uh, during, during COVID. And there's a few others that have allegedly been plan to pop up in there were you looking to be in that neighborhood or did, was it just an opportunity that you looked at the building and, and the opportunity and said this is it 
Yeah, well, we we had actually seen this space many years ago um, at one of our prior clubs. We were just kind of kicking around the idea of expanding and opening up a second location. And we had seen this space and we, you know, there, there was a lot about it that we liked, but for whatever reason, we just didn't pursue it. And we started looking down in the East Village, which is where other spaces were. And, you know, we saw a couple of places, you know, spaces that have, you know, really cool bones or promise. And we were just kind of, at that point, I thought, we thought we were village people. And so that's where we were kind of looking. And then just one day I was like, wait a minute, whatever happened to that space on 41st? And Daniel made the call and we came up and it just was the perfect timing Yeah, where the, the landlord, the owner of the building was there and we were just able to bend their ear and kind of tell them what we hadn't planned. And then just like that. Yeah, it are. was really great too, because the owner of the building, you know, obviously he has his financial interest in mind. And he said, everyone that had been pitching, taking the space over once it was built out, they were saying, oh, you know, we'll put a pool table over there. And he was like, you guys came in with like a plan, you know what I mean? So that, and you know, he wants to make sure he gets his rent and I understand. And you want the man with the plan or the men with the plan, you know what I mean? As opposed to, well, we'll just put it, you know, pool. There's nothing wrong with it. Love a good bar or the pool table. But I think he was looking at, okay, these guys are going to do a lot. And then that's when he said, hey, what about digging out the basement? And we said, let's. Go Thelma, drive off that cliff. <laughs> that's the bucket. <laughs> exactly. And then that's when we started the process of digging. The basement probably is why we're a year behind schedule. <laughs> did you did you have to go and rent a vintage Thunderbird convertible to go over that cliff or oh, right. exactly. <laughs> that's funny. So who do you envision your clientele to be primarily when you open? Who do you think is going to be most attracted to your space? God, hopefully people with disposable income. <laughs> I see horse hung bottoms in the <laughs> just kidding. With an Eastern European no, accent. I mean, that's what I was saying earlier, you know, about there's really something here for everybody. So this is a queer space. We're all queer owners. You know, most of our programming is going to be queer oriented. That would be naturally who, you know, would come and attend these events and be a part of it, you know, but you know, the whole queer spectrum. The whole gambit, you know, we want we want to have programming for everybody and we have, you know, any slot of the day are, you know, different vibes. So, you know, anyone who, you know, fits into the queer spectrum, you know, including allies, like that's who we want to create the space for. And the idea is that you, you do have people in the queer community that will kind of self-segregate. You have the people that will be right. closer to the door by the coffee bar. You'll have the people that won't leave the dance floor. And so... The idea is that there there's an area in one space for every type of person to be. And and the hope of offering a space to those people is you can also offer them a possibly a, a mind opening or a, a learning curve possibility that maybe that person that always sits in the bar and gaps with their friends will venture downstairs and, you know, let their freak flag fly. Or, you know, the person that doesn't think they can dance will have enough coffee in them that they just can't stop moving. And, you know, you kind of choose your own adventure and find something out, uh, out about yourself, you know? I think that's an important thing these days. I've noticed a lot of the newer bars that are just beginning to open, and even some of the older bars that have been around for a while have kind of adopted that philosophy. Um, I interviewed the owner of the Atlanta Eagle about two weeks ago, and the Atlanta Eagle had been closed for two years because of a combination of um, COVID closure 
and then a dispute with the landlord. And they were closed for a total of about two years. And they finally reopened in October of this year, the weekend of Atlanta Pride. And it's interesting to watch his his new concept now in this newer, bigger bar, in which is in a more direct path that the shopping plaza they're located in has three other gay bars and half a dozen gay businesses all in this one little shopping strip. And his the new Eagle in Atlanta will now have early drag shows. I think they're at 9.30 at night. Um, they'll have a more diverse crowd. They have, uh, when they did their Mr. Eagle contest, they also have a Ms. Eagle contest. So there are women that will come into the bar. Um, they're very accepting of the bear and the pup community. Uh, they have things for a lot of different people. They have a huge outdoor patio now or outdoor area where people can congregate. And so a lot of people were giving them grief about, oh, an eagle with a dance floor? Oh, an eagle with a drag show? And that's really the kind of trend of the future. You kind of have to, you know, allow for more diversity or you're probably going to smother yourself into oblivion. That's what I said about morphing. You got to look at the market and say, the leather community is not growing. It's not a growing community. So it's like they have to diversify and get inclusive and bring more people into it. Then maybe it will grow. But it's as it were, things like the Black Party no longer exist. You know what I'm saying? It got a little, it's, it, the Eagle got really, the one in New York anyway, was really stuck in like a doldrums. And then they re reinvented it and they're doing really well now. So it's just about kind of looking at the market, looking what the world wants and, and following it. And like at the, at the one in Atlanta, by doing the drag shows early, he can accommodate people who are older, you know, that right. don't want to be out at midnight or one o'clock in the morning watching a drag show. And the Eagle bars typically didn't get busy until 11 o'clock anyway. Right. You know, that's when the crowd starts coming out and really um, partying. So he kept the bar, you know, more busy and offered an alternative to other people who can then be exposed to people in the leather community, people in the pup community, and so on, and kind of, as you said, find their way and figure out which letter of that alphabet suit they want to identify with or feel comfortable with. Which, by the way, I think maybe you should consider creating a vegetable or a alphabet suit and just put the LGBTQ, have somebody... Separate the letters out so you can separate them. I'll just <laughs> Although I'm not sure. Are there any letters that are eliminated from that acronym? I'm not sure. There's LGBTQ AI plus IA. There's a, a P for pansexual. There's I think that's uh, under the plus. I think, the the I think it, it, you just eat the whole vegetable soup, you know, eat the whole um <laughs> It's a funny idea though. <laughs> The alphabet suit yeah. is having those letters but it'd be more fun is finding that person with ocd that would take out the letters that don't <laughs> that don't fit you could you have know, a contest party we always ask at the door top bottom reverse so i kind of like get it's like and you get, get, a, stamp. Like, and you get a stamp bottom reverse on fire island which is really fun and it, you know, the idea is that it kind of gets people talking to each other if i look over and see someone's hand and it says top i'm like ignore her no <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> Or I go up and say, hey, sis, let's go find a bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like y'all have a really good plan there. Like you're well underway to getting open. 
And I am definitely looking forward to seeing Red Eye for myself next time I'm in New York, which I assure you, from my own personal perspective, would not be until at least June because I'm a Florida boy. And, um, you know, it's a chilly 68 degrees when you get up in the morning here. Um, we just can't take that kind of stuff. But uh, <laughs> on Thursday, it's going to be 60 degrees. <laughs> you have long term plans to potentially do something like this on a different scale, like looking at the market, but in Florida. I love the idea of it. Miami's a little bit more me, but I love the idea. Well, Manners makes more sense for the business. It does. But I see something like this. Uh, you know, obviously. So I was just just having a conversation with someone about Wilton Manners. And um, the unique thing about Wilton Manners, and I, I know Daniel especially will be able to relate to this because he's about, what, five or ten minutes older than the other guys there? Yeah, just a smidge. Yeah. Just, just a, a watch has been broken for three decades. <laughs> um, but back in the day, there used to be neighborhoods. Uh, you know, that you went to like the village in, in New York City, where virtually everything around you was gay. Right, yeah. And that's kind of diminishing. We're not seeing that anymore. Uh, even places like West Hollywood, which were like flamboyantly gay, are right. gentrifying more and becoming more, you know. Um, even Philadelphia, they lost But Wilton Manors, it's only a little two mile long piece of land. I mean, it's a tiny, it's smaller than Key West. Um, but Wilton Manors, within a two-mile radius of the first gay bar that really opened there, which was George's Alibi, within a two-mile radius, there's, I think, 22 gay alcoholic beverage establishments Right. in right. that small little circle in a place that only has maybe twelve or 15,000 occupants, residents there. So it's, it's kind of an anomaly in the world of gay these days. And I think that oh, would be... Yeah, yeah. That would be a great place to to consider opening a second one. Um, yeah, when I was well, Manners, that was a really good example. Is I went every morning for coffee. I I was staying right in Wilton Manners, and I had a hard time. I found one place eventually, but I didn't find a place that was. I didn't find my spot. Wherever I go on a trip, I always find my right. coffee that I go to in the morning. I didn't find that, and then I thought, wow, this would be a great place to open that kind of yeah. I stay two doors. I just didn't find it. I stay two doors off the drive. And um, the last time I was there and I ended up going to, I think it was called the Courtyard Cafe, which is like a mom and pop type restaurant to have my coffee. No baristas, nothing fancy, but it's because that's the only thing that I saw right there. So I, I agree with you. I think something like a, like a red eye um, would be a welcome addition to the neighborhood. So I want to thank all of you for taking time out of your day to talk to me about your new venture. And um, anybody that's interested, you'll be able to find it on the www at rediny.com. And we'll post all of their other social media stuff at the end as well. Um, so thank you, Taylor, Sam, Daniel, and Adam. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you, honey. See you we'll soon. See you. That concludes another episode of the Gay Archive Show. For more information about this episode or to find more episodes, visit gaybarchives.com.